Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At GutCheck, we make it our business to understand brands, and we use four primary criteria to help us identify one. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and those that demonstrate the power of and, seeing opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to understand their journey, explore what makes them so successful, hear about the struggles along the way to success, and to get their perspective on other brands we might call gutsy. Gutcheck CRO Jess Gedeke, a former leader at Nielsen, had the chance to speak with Orion Brown, the founder and CEO of Black Travel Box, a premium clean beauty targeting women of color. Orion is a brand strategy consultant with over 15 years experience leading cross-functional teams across multiple industries. She combined her expansive expertise of consumer insights, brand strategy, and product innovation with her passion for travel to create a product line that truly impacts people's lives for the better. In today's episode, Jess learns from Orion all about the adventure of building a business, how her personal experience helped identify a huge opportunity in the personal care space, and why being exclusive isn't always a bad thing. So kick back and relax and listen to another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Orion, I have genuinely been looking forward to this conversation since we last chatted. I mean it. And our listeners can't see your smile, but I hope that they can feel your smile as you talk to us today because you bring such genuine passion and energy. I I just, we're going to talk about a lot of topics I'm excited to learn more about. So I would love for you to start, give us an idea of your background, maybe prior to founding your business, and then we'll go there next. But first, where do you come from? And tell us about your background. Yes. Yeah, so number one, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to have the chat and, um, but I'm not super excited about describing my background only because it's really hard. I feel like, you know, how they say cats have like nine lives. Like I've done a lot of diff- really different things. Um, I'm a native Chicagoan grew up in the South side of Chicago. I've bounced around and lived a lot of different places, not a military brat, just an unstable lifestyle, but it, I think it's also a really great, uh, way to, have perspective around about the world and the people around you. So, um, I I still value that, um, professionally, well, personally, well, we'll say professionally. So professionally, (laughs) all of us, all of it does. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, but like, if I, if I go back to like, it was a cold night in February, I feel like I've gone (laughs) too far back. I was, I I like to say I've been pre, I was pre-med from the age of four. Right. So I was like very, very focused. My mom had all these medical books. She had gone to school for nursing. I was the kid that was like reading the internal medicine book. My alert. I love it. Total nerd and being like, so how do they impact that back in? Like, I'm just, (laughs) you know, uh, I was fascinated by it. I got to college and life was lifing. And a lot of things outside of the college experience were affecting what was happening inside the college experience. And so I got to like my third year and I was like, 
as much as this has been the thing that I've always wanted to do and saw myself doing and move towards, I can't, I don't have enough structure support and the elements in place to not go through hell for the next six years to make my way there. And I, this isn't it. And so it was really like, that was like one of the biggest decisions, especially being a young adult, one of the biggest decisions I made in my life in terms of pivoting. But I think it's positioned me well, again, you know, having all this volatility and change has positioned me well to be very change agile as, as an adult and within my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oddly enough, I went from being pre-med to working at JP Morgan Chase doing internal consulting and project management. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's a pivot. A <laughs> little bit of a pivot, um, but I believe everything happens for a reason. Um, and even the way in which I got to that role, the person who hired me had just gotten into their role three months before. And had I interviewed three months earlier, with the prior person, they would not have taken me into the program. But this person was like restructuring how they think about and how they bring in um, diversity of thought, not necessarily DEI diversity, but diversity of thought within the program. And that was a great opportunity for me. And I really flourished there. Eventually ended up going back to school going, okay, now that I'm a grown up, now that I'm a grown up, I've worked with people. I understand it's intimidating as I thought it was because I never went into office buildings. Like I was the kid that you, you downtown Chicago, I would go into the office building because it was between that and the McDonald's when I had to go to the bathroom and nobody's going to the sketchy McDonald's. So you find the building that has a bathroom before the security gate and then you get the good smelling soap. Like that's all I knew. So once I kind of got that, that comfort level, I got really excited and I knew what my skills were. And then I was like, okay, so what do I want to do when I grow up? And so I went to business school to figure that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How'd that work out? I mean, it it was great. It was funny because I came in going, well, I was a consultant and I worked in banking. So I'll either come out being a consultant or a banker. Mm-hmm. And then both of those things sound, sounded wildly unappealing, um, you know, after a bit. And I s- discovered what is called brand, brand management. I had never known about it. I had no exposure to it. There was no one in my life that had done it. And so going through the process of actually like matriculating in the school, I was meeting people who were like, you know, I work for... Johnson and Johnson and R and D. And I love doing like making the stretchy material for diapers, but now I want to like be the person that's directing the work. And I'm like, there's a person like the Keebler <laughs> elves don't make the cookies. I don't understand what's happening. Um, and that's really how I discovered it. And I pivoted into brand and I had an amazing time. I went into the food industry. I worked for Nestle. I worked for Kraft. We did some industry hops, went worked for Hasbro for a bit you know, seeing how the sausage is made is kind of fun. I really loved it. It was the best yeah. of the project management. It was the best of the consulting. And it also had this really wonderful, tangible thing that you could show for your work, which is mm-hmm. hard to say when you're a project manager. It's like, sure. what do you do? I manage projects. <laughs> what is that? And, and hope they have outcome and impact. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And it's like, but when you say I work for craft and people are like, oh, you make the macaroni and cheese. I love this, you know, meandering to different industries and roles. It does. It sounds like your intuition has always been pretty strong. Do you think that's fair? I pray really hard and then hope that the intuition is intuition and not indigestion. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like go with your gut. And I'm like, my gut's pretty gassy right now. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I am a faithful person. So I'm like, I need a really clear sign this is what I'm thinking. And then I just kind of go with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's, there's intuition, but there's also, if you know your story, it's very helpful. People think like when you sit down for an interview, 
that you have to create a story that's going to be like compelling, et cetera, et cetera. What I find, and I've done a lot of interviews on both sides of the chair is if you know what your skill set is, if you know what you love and what you're passionate about, if you know what kind of environment you be, you should be in, just articulating that with honesty is your story. And if that doesn't jive with the person on the other side of the table, it's probably not the place for you. I kind of just go through that as the process and finding the right place in just articulating and trying to be very good at knowing myself and understanding what that environment is, is at least presenting itself as. Mm -hmm. I think that's really wise. And I think that's a good segue to talking about the business that you are CEO and founder of, um, because a lot of what you just described in terms of your background, I can already see how it led you there and, and led you into that, that leadership position. So um, you and I have talked about this. One of the things that we really honor in gutsy brands is leading with empathy. And what that means is truly having a, an intentional, genuine care for the authentic human experience and wanting to change people li- people's lives. Um, and when I think about Black Travel Box, which you'll tell us a lot about in a moment, I believe it is the embodiment of empathy. I, I believe that what you're doing for travelers of color is making them feel understood, making them feel that there is a brand that is for them. And that is what empathy is all about. So please tell us what inspired you uh, to launch that company. And we'll get to what it means for the humans out there that you are helping feel understood. I have a, a, a pretty traditional origin story of that I had a problem and then I thought I should make a solution and then I went and did it. Um, but there's a lot more wrapped into it in the sense that, you know, on the one hand, I just thought it was a fun project that I had actually gotten away from pure brand work and I had gotten into like more sales and I had gotten into the tech space and it was like further away and I missed having my hands on something tangible. At the same time, Life was getting to a place where I was making decisions around what types of environments do I want to be in? Does pay actually equate to the offset of experience and the offset of respect or lack thereof in in certain environments and things like that? And then the classic story of, and then I took my butt on vacation and had the experience that I've had a thousand times. I went to Japan and I had my whole hair care routine planned out. I, d- I was planning a wash and go popping curls the first day, second day that they're, they're always better on the second day. It's like lasagna. <laughs> they're always better on the second day. And then, you know, you get to the third day, you're like, okay, we were probably on our last when we put the headband on that fourth day. Okay. It's going into a pineapple or a bun, depending on where we're at. And then we start over, we do a wash day and, and that takes us through the rest of the trip. I decided to hop from Tokyo to Okinawa, Tokyo, beautiful, mild, gorgeous weather, Okinawa, the armpit of Atlanta, hot, like sweat. The second they opened the door of the plane, just sweat everywhere. My skin was sweaty. My scalp was sweaty. My hair was sweaty, instant frizz. And I was just like, I am so screwed because I have this tiny little bottle that is not going to be able to correct this or like help me manage it while I'm here over multiple days. And so as many great ideas come over a glass of something, uh, in this case, it was Saki. I was like ranting, like, why isn't there something? I'm a person with hair and skin. Like, why can't I find it? Yes, I understand I'm in a foreign country where the ethnicities are very, very different than, you know, my immediate surroundings. But I have the same problem when I go other places. And not only that, we had tons of army bases on Okinawa. 
So there were, mm-hmm. there were what so-called American U.S. stores throughout, and they still either had products that were like crazy toxic and not particularly healthy, or just products that just weren't made for me at all. Um, and so that was really the impetus, those things coming together, me saying, I really miss having my hands in something and wanting to do something creative and tangible. The I'm sick of going to work and it being an environment that is toxic and I'm going there just to get paid to be taught. Like it just wasn't worth the pay. And then this idea that there's a problem in the world that's really worth solving. And I think I have the skills to come forward and and try to tackle it. I mean, culmination of several really important dynamics. And I, I think I'd like to just honor the fact that you you took the moment to acknowledge that and to see how those things could triangulate in this case into something that is really going to make a difference. So tell us more about the brand. Tell us more about the products themselves and tell us about the people that, that you're helping. So the brand is called black travel box. We're a personal care products company for travelers of color. This is the pitch part. Um, (laughs) Everything that we make is in forms and formats. that's meant to travel well, get through TSA and it's inclusive. So it's made for a wide variety of hair textures and skin tones. And the reason why I say those things in particular is because oftentimes when we create brands, particularly one we're thinking about ethnicity, it's like some of these big brands are like, just slap a gold label on it and say that it's for ethnic women, it's for texture. And it's like, it's the same product. You actually didn't make a product different for her. You didn't test it on her. Oftentimes we're not even in the lab situation. Sunscreen just figured out that Black people are a part of the marketplace. Like, let's talk about that. Because the capitalist in me is like, you're letting, <laughs> you're letting frivolous things get in the way of you making more money. Please, I, equal opportunity, take advantage of my pocketbook. Sell right. me some right. stuff. And so seeing that the beauty industry in particular is holding that death grip on what its perspective on beauty is and what that should look like. And oftentimes it's not inclusive of a lot of people. Um, that was a, that was a big friction point for me. And so everything that I make, I, uh, now I, I don't, I don't test anything on animals. I test them on friends, but it's all about making sure that it works for a, a plethora of people and a broader spectrum. The other piece around the travel piece and being TSA friendly and traveling well I'm not, I didn't want to create anything that was just like another bottled thing that it's like, oh, we took the bottle and made it smaller and here you go. And it's like, hey, it's in your bag. You always ruin your best silk shirt. At least I do. (laughs) And, And it's never enough. So I really created something where each product is engineered to last long and travel well. And to keep you from getting into arguments with TSA, because I come with stats and they get really annoyed with me. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a fact checker, I can tell. They don't like that. Just get in line. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am the consumer. And that's a really lucky thing because oftentimes as a brand marketer and brand manager, you're not. And even as an entrepreneur, you may, you may or may not be. Um, and so for me, it really has been a journey of just discovering if other people had the same issues and the same challenges. And what I was hearing absolutely disgusted me that people are going to grocery stores and getting products when they go to different places. And it doesn't have to be a different country. It could be, you know, Toledo, Ohio, or Toledo, Spain. It's the same thing. Um, And the fact that you can go into establishments that create things for humans 
and they completely ignore a whole spectrum of humans in what they carry is is a challenge. And I've gotten notes from people, you know, as I've done podcasts like this and different interviews or people have seen me in different places, which now it's like, I'm like internet famous, which is weird. Oh, that's kind of fun. Well, it's, it's like, I'm just enough to be recognized. It's sort of like that actor that you see in a bunch of like LA law shows and you're like, (laughs) I know him. Um, I get that a lot. I know you from somewhere, but this idea of, you know, people would reach out to me and they would hear about it and they would say, well, one, when are you, when are you going to, uh, you know, ship to the country that I happen to be in? I'm in Germany. Are you going to ship to Germany? Are you going to get outside of the U.S.? Um, I've shipped to Israel once. That was very interesting. Their question is usually, how can I get my hands on it? But the bigger thing is, thank you. I, I got thank yous and I didn't, I wasn't expecting it, if that makes sense. Um, and so I would hear, I would get these thank you notes from all over the world and people would DM me and sometimes they would hit me up on LinkedIn and I'm like, this is a strange place, but okay. I'm just saying, keep doing what you're doing. You know, the more that I've researched the company, I've been reading the blog, I've been sort of familiarizing myself. Think of how many moments out there, out in the world where people are experiencing these, these travel situations and that you are giving them their best self. You're giving them confidence. You're able to enjoy your life in a different way when you feel like you look good and you feel good. And so I just think it's, it's so special. And I, and I, as I'm hearing you talk about this too, clearly there is an element of frustration and a gap in what the products were, were providing for, for this particular need. So there's, you know, when you think about innovation through empathy, there is that you want to solve frustration, right? You want to take away that negativity, but you also want to forward the positivity. So the other part that I love about this is especially with the black travel movement, which is making such a difference um, and, you know, allowing people to really get out there and explore the world. It's, it's your product line is helping forward that. So is there that balance that it's, it's the absence of negative, but like, holy smokes, a huge step forward with this positive vibe. Definitely. And I think, you know, when we do you know, sort of the internal documents and brand articulations. The big thing for me is, you know, the number one belief that I have is travel is, a, an important form of self-care, particularly within the Black community. Um, because we have so many sociological challenges, at least within the United States, I would argue across the world, but certainly here, the ability to step out of the space, number one, is its own. There's escapism, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, let me get out of the space and let me have room to breathe. But not only that, So it gives you an opportunity just to be in touch with who you are as a person, not as how you present in rooms. It also is an amazing opportunity to connect with other human beings when there's so much disconnect here. Um, And so having those moments, I think, can really help reinstill some type of faith in humanity. (laughs) At least it does it for me that that charges my battery back again, along with just, you know, seeing the wonder and the splendor of the world and how things exist, the mountains, the casbahs, the sea, like all of that stuff. I was just in Morocco, like being able to see those things for me personally grounds me spiritually as well. And Mm -hmm. so all of those elements make black travel movement so powerful beyond just, we like to travel. There's some badge travel. There's things that you want to be able to say, like, I did this, I accomplished it. But then there's also that sort of emotional and spiritual factor that comes from being able to go to these places, you know, kind of throwing off limitations um, and being exactly who you are as opposed to 
how you present and what that sort of dynamic looks like oftentimes. I'm not going to save the world with body bomb. I know that. But if I can give you 15, 20 minutes, an hour back that you were spending being distracted on some BS because the beauty industry doesn't think about you in any country, then that's another 15, 20, 60 minutes that you can be self-caring and be present and be fully yourself and feel good in your own skin. And so I think that that's really important. I, I, I appreciate the removal of the negative, but it really is about being additive to the positive and making sure that you are getting the most out of your experience, whatever that might be. I love that. That is really powerful. And I'm, I'm struck by the idea of giving time back for self-care. When you think about the number of people that you are impacting with your products, you're giving a whole lot of self-care back to, to the world. So you should feel really good about that. And I mean it. Maybe that's, you know, you should put that bullet on, uh, on your next investor deck. <laughs> I think that's, that's a good way to do it. Oh yeah. Another aspect of gutsy brands that we really admire are brands and brand leaders that stand behind bold ideas, even if they're not well understood or popular at the time. And so I'd love for you to take us back to the origination of black travel box. And when you were first pitching the concept Talk to us about how you built conviction for this new idea. And did you face any challenges then? Do you still face challenges now and getting people to really understand this idea? Well, you kind of led the witness on that one because you already know <laughs> the answer, but it's, uh, it's exactly that. So when I went on the trip to Japan, that was in May of 2017. By August, I had over many brunches ranted because you obviously there has to always be a glass in the hand when yes. having these big ideas. Definitely. And I, I was ranting every time and it should be like this and it should be like that. And my partner at the time, he was like, just go make it like, do it. Like stop talking about it, doing. So I sat down and I incorporated the business, um, without, <laughs> without the business plan, without the brand, but just, just knowing that I had a heart for and an, and an idea that I was birthing. Um, and so from there, I really spent like Actually, it was really 2018 because it was like right before the holidays. You know, nothing happens over the holidays. The next thing you know, it's a time warp and you're like, what, just three months gone. Yep. Um, but I spent 2018 really building out the vision for it and doing a lot of consumer research and talking to people. And the conviction built itself, at least for me, because the more people I talked to, like I mentioned earlier, the more I was hearing stories of the hoops that folks were going through just to get basic stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I completely understand if you have a rare skin condition or if you have allergies, I have tree nut allergies. I have to like scour everything. It's a pain in the butt. However, most people are the rule, not the exception. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to find these things. And so as I, I was uncovering these challenges where people were like, well, so I found one thing that works. So I buy and squirrel away a whole bunch of it. And then I put it into tiny bottles and then I do this and I do that. And I'm like, you're manufacturing and you pay for manufactured product. <laughs> like, help me understand why you're manufacturing. That's like somebody bringing you a cocktail and being like, well, there's the vodka, there's the juice, knock yourself out. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so for me, it was, that was the first kind of build of conviction. Then I started to do like, you know, third-party research. Like what's the data? I don't know enough about the market. One of the things that really irked me was there isn't a lot of data. There weren't a lot of people looking at black populations outside of jail time. I am dead serious. 
if I wanted to find stats around Black Americans, it was all like, and this is where they are in the prison system. And I'm like, but where's all the consumer reports? And it was very, very hard to find. I was able to find some like little Mintel reports, things like that. And I think it wasn't until the end of 2018 that a travel report, no, not even a travel report. I think it was a beauty report that came out that was talking about the level of toxicity of the products that are sold to black women and how that differs from like, quote unquote, mainstream products and how insane that is. And, you know, you talk to most black women, they know five people who have had fibroids and that's directly correlated with the right. products that are being brought into our community and being peddled to us. So that was the, the next layer of convention, conviction. Like we should have clean beauty. It's like basic. We shouldn't have to complain and die before we can get something changed. Um, and I think that final layer really came, there was a, a travel study that came out uh, late 2018, early looking at how much we travel and, and quantifying the black travel movement. And it was very much like, you know, you're looking at the years and it's like, well, it started at, I want to say like $10 billion and then it was like 19 and then it was 63. And I'm like, what? I have never sat in a room with people who were looking at white space innovation and seen a growth clip like that and not been like, not had everybody go, oh my God, we have to oh get Oh my God. This. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually the opposite of the reaction that I got. So I would come into rooms with, you know, my little bit of 15 years corporate experience and running major brands and doing this for million dollar, you know, businesses. And I would literally hear, well, you know, this is, it's really niche. And it sounds like, you know, what you're talking about, you know, maybe you're just building a lifestyle brand, which by the way, you can have a $50 million business and it'd be considered a lifestyle brand. So I have four letter words for people (laughs) who want to like snot, like, you know, (laughs) snub their nose at it, but that's not the intention. Um, and so that was the third level of conviction, like this, this cognitive dissonance between very clear, compelling data on the consumer, the marketplace and the growth in both of them. And this distaste for things made for and built around women of color and people of color in general. Uh, and so those three things came together for me and I was like, uh, uh-uh, we got to do this. This is ridiculous. We just have to. You asked about resistance. I did face a lot of resistance and I went into a lot of rooms in 2019 and you guys can find like all those little podcasts I did and was on Gimlet Media is the pitch. And I, I fielded a lot of, for lack of a better term, offensive questions. Um, not all of them were publicized on all of the things, but you know, I, I would go into rooms and people would ask me, why am I being exclusive? Why am I being exclusionary? It's and and to the extent that it was sort of like kind of being racist, like why would you do that? Um, clearly, that's not what you want. And it's like it's called market segmentation. Like let's just take the color of the consumer out of the picture. Right. It's market right. segmentation. You can't be everything to everybody. Otherwise, you don't have a brand or a business. Um, and that was really disheartening. And there were definitely times that I felt incredibly gaslit and started to think maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I have no clue. Maybe this doesn't, this isn't actually a challenge or a problem. And that's been difficult to work through. I think with COVID, it's COVID took away all of the pressure to make money, to be honest, right? Because it's like, there's no travel. Nobody's going to expect right. this to shut down. Yeah. 
And so it gave me a space to really connect with my consumers and connect with our audience. And that reinforced my prior conviction and kind of began to erase and erode the emotional trauma. And it truly is emotional trauma of being a Black woman creating a business for Black women and trying to do so at a scaled corporate clip. Not a, people are happy when you're, when you're selling stuff out the trunk of your car or you're at the farmer's market. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what I'm trying to create. I'm trying to create a legacy brand and business that's scalable. I have dreams and platforms and things that are coming out of what you see today is not even the tip. It's been an interesting and a challenging journey, but I go back to that first piece of conviction, that first, you deserve more. She deserves more. So if I can be a catalyst to that, I will. I have probably 15 different follow-up questions I would want to go into after that because it was just such a heartfelt and uh, you know vulnerable way of, of describing it. Um, I'm, but I really am struck by this idea of the pandemic hits, sh- travel is essentially shut down. You are the founder of a, a travel product company yeah. in its infancy. And so a lot of people would have been like, all right, see ya, I'm out. I'm going to shut the doors. I can't take this. And you took the opportunity to actually not worry so much about the balance sheet and just say, let me really understand the human being that I'm trying to help here. I just think there's so much beauty and intelligent thought in that. How did you have that courage though, Orion? I just don't, I don't understand. I can't even picture at that time saying, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to lean in. So just before COVID, life got really crazy and some really awful things happened. And I spent a good deal of time before people were quarantining, essentially quarantining to myself and healing. And so when COVID hit, mind you, I had like a small freak out. I was like, ah, okay, no, this is not, oh, we didn't sign up for this. I had a whole plan, 2020 vision. You know, when you start getting, you start getting like your vision board together, you start putting together slogans and shit for your life. Excuse my language. Uh, But you start putting together thoughts of like, okay, so this is going to be my mantra for this year. And then, you know, mantra out the window, nobody's walking in the streets and people are dying in mass. And I don't know if it was courage. I think some of it was survival. A lot of it was faith, but it was one of those things that I was like, this deserves to live. The the business deserves to live. However, we're in unprecedented times. If I quit now, I ain't coming back to it. You ever start a diet and be like, okay, I'm on a clip. I'm on a clip. And then like miss one day because you got like stomach flu or whatever it is. And then never come back to it again. Month later, you're like, wasn't I supposed to be eating some carrots? Like that's... (laughs) I didn't want that to happen. And to be honest, Black Travel Box carried me through a really, really hard time in my life, being solo and trying to pull myself back together. I found a lot of my value in the thing, the skill set that I brought to the table, the building of something, the creation of something. And so that was something that I just, I was like, I couldn't imagine leaning into anything else at the time. Um, and stuff started to work, (laughs) you know, um, you mentioned that we were fledgling still, you know, still just trying to like get out the gate. And I would hear from people, well, you need to pivot the business and you should just be all like home care or like whatever, because everybody's at home right now. And I'm like, that erodes what the brand stands for. By the time we get to the end of the pandemic, they're not thinking about us for travel. 
Right. And yes, I can make money that way. And, and let me caveat this with, I had already reasoned to a deplete my personal resources to keep things moving. I did have the personal funding to some extent. Now, don't get me wrong. My credit cards are stretched, baby. <laughs> they are stretched. They are like a pair of fat pants at Thanksgiving. They are stretched. But I, I did kind of have a financial underpinning and I knew how much I was willing to lose. I think that's a big thing. Know what you're willing to lose because it's when you lose and you don't expect it, that's when it hits you and crushes you. When you lose and you're like, yeah, it's sort of like letting a friend borrow money. And y'all, please listen to this. Listen to my words. Do not let friends borrow money that you were not willing to lose. Just think of it as a gift. And so I thought about that even with Black Travel Box. I'm like, I may never see the return on this invested. It, It may just be gone. Sunk cost. I'm okay with that because it's, it's feeding my soul at this time. And it also gave me some amazing platforms to talk about some important things. And I'm still of the mindset that even if the intent for my life and having Black Travel Box in it is to create platforms, not to, you know, be a beauty zillionaire, I'm okay with that. Because I've, I can't tell you how many places I got to talk about beauty double standards and representation. And why investors need to have a better uh, eye to diversity and cultural, um, you know, acuity, like, <laughs> and yeah. cultural competency. And so all of those things really made that time worthwhile for me. I look at my time and my money differently now. How mm-hmm. I spend it is based off of what I need in that space. It's not based off of fear. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow will worry about itself. So that's how, that's how I kind of approached it. I think there's a lot to learn from that. And this fact that, you know, you can be furthering a cause that is important and is just, and is something you're passionate about and make money. But if you don't worry about the money part for a little bit, you might be more focused and be able to further the, you know, the more social side of what you're, what you're concerned about. So there's some beauty to that. You know, there's some beauty to, to putting the the investment piece aside, but I also want to applaud I have not met an entrepreneur who a successful entrepreneur that uh, who hadn't said, I have to be willing to go all in. I, I have to, you have to be willing to lose it all because that allows you to let that conviction and that belief in what you're doing really lead the way. So I, I certainly applaud you and I don't know that I could do it the way that you did. So speaking of which. And every day is a, every day is a roller coaster. And there's definitely days where I'm like, you are insane. What were you thinking? And then other days where I wake up and I'm like, I can't lose. Like I literally cannot lose what's happening. Like I, I try to make sure that I articulate those things because I think oftentimes we hear from entrepreneurs that are considered successful. One, they don't tell you anything about what's going on behind the scenes. And two, it's sort of like, I knew this was going to work and we don't always know that it's going to work and we don't always know what tomorrow brings. And even things that are great and immense opportunities fall through three seconds before they're supposed to happen. And so knowing that it's a roller coaster for everyone, not just the people who are clearly struggling or not there yet is, is just really important. And that was something actually, I went to an Inc. Magazine event and they had a number of speakers. They had the CEO of Pandora and the CEO of Uggs. And I always retell their stories, probably poorly, but it was the first time, number one, that I'd ever heard a straight white male admit to complete and utter failure openly and talk about that. 
And it made me feel better about my daily failures Mm -hmm. because oftentimes it's sort of like, well, what are you doing wrong? It's like everybody fails. If you're not stretching yourself, there's no failure if you don't stretch yourself. So don't stretch yourself. But if you're an entrepreneur, by definition, you're stretching yourself. And so there should be failure in that and learning in that. It helped me to reinvigorate my self-esteem by hearing that people by all accounts who should be successful had a lot of issues on the way. Well, so stumbling blocks, I think that, you know, give us the lessons and give us strength, which is another part I really want to hear from you about, which is, you know, over the course of the pandemic, we did see, um, a surge in black owned businesses. Now they were disproportionately affected by some of the, you know, the, the cutting back of the economy and the shutdown than other groups, but we did see a surge in, yeah, yeah. You're like preach. Um, but we did see this surge and we see a greater proportion of those founders being female compared to, to other groups in the U S what is it about these powerhouse black female entrepreneurs that are able to get shit done? Like, just talk to me about it. How, how does it happen? So there's a few things. One, there's a little bit of correlation, not causation and, and vice versa. So When you see people who are getting shit done, as you say, they tend to be powerhouse leaders, right? Um, That is a somewhat causation, somewhat a correlation in terms to be in front of you in the first place, right? So, um, you know, just be mindful of the group that you're observing. But that being said, I think Black women in general are healers. They're strength uh, strengtheners. While we're tired of being super women, we also have that skill set. Like we're retiring from that mess. Like we're definitely at a place where you'll see us talking about no longer, I'm putting down the cape, sorry, I'm done. But that doesn't mean that the superpowers aren't still there. And a lot of that is forged in community. A lot of that is forged in experience. A lot of that is forged in being, you know, at the bottom oftentimes of sort of social totems. And while black men have their own challenges within this country, there's still you're, you're a woman as well as a person of color, as well as a Black person. And so the amount of resilience that is required to function, honestly, right, um, is, is immense. Um, I spent now at this point almost 20 years in corporate. I did go back to work last, last summer, full disclosure, because funding was like non-existent. And so I was like, fine, I'll fund myself. I could either shake it on the street or I could shake it in in a boardroom. I'll shake it in the boardroom. But um, being in those environments takes an amazing amount of resilience. It takes amazing amount of nimbleness and strategic thought, not even just strategic as in how to build a business and how to run it, strategic as in how to deal with people, how to deal with situations, how to bring finesse and grace to things that really should just be cuss outs, yells, and a last, you know, a last yeah. day notice. I think a lot of that we bring to bear. And I think we're also just creative people. And oftentimes we are problem solvers for folks be- beyond our community. When you see Black women marching, they're not marching just for themselves. When you see Black women speaking out, they're not just speaking out for themselves. And inevitably, the, the downstream impact of that is one that reaches far beyond the community. And so when you finally see her, when you see her, that's when you go, well, shit, she's, wow, 
you know? And where did that come from? It's because she's been moving like that the whole time. But now we're at a place that there are spotlights. And as we know, spotlights don't always last. They're not always on the stage. But for right now, there are some really great spotlights and we're able to see, I think, the grace and the resilience and um, the complexity and the beauty of Black women as people who move in the world. Not just, oh, she's pretty because she's Black. I'm talking about that beauty and that grace and that light that comes from just being badass and, and being aspirational and offering up somewhat as a sacrifice your gifts to make the space around you better and the space around others. So selfless in that way, right? Just sharing that goodness with the world for the betterment of the world and the community yeah. and not just keeping it in to your own, your own core. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just also the way that we think about problems and challenges, because I won't say that every single black woman is benevolent. I wouldn't say every single person is benevolent. You know what I mean? Like we still have to remember and and attribute personality and not like sort of monolithic stereotypes across people. But from a tendency standpoint, the things that we tend to look at are social injustices and things that are you know, uh, ways in which the human spirit can flourish. Now I say that and then you go, oh, well, most of our businesses are beauty businesses. That is a way in which the human spirit can flourish. When we create businesses that include, you know, say the lip bar and these other businesses that are including more colors, they're including more, they're, they're pressure testing and pushing the standard of beauty. That doesn't just help us. That helps the transgender community. That helps the the non-binary community. That helps anybody who's an artist and who uses skin as a palette. Yep. And so it's it's less about I'm going to save the world today. We just happen to do it as a, a as a sort of a downstream benefit to a core challenge that we're that we're trying to tackle. But that core challenge tends to have broader repercussions by definition. So to your comment about, you know, there's a spotlight on, on it right now. How do we actually create and nurture and support and lift up that next generation that will continue to do this, this great work and accomplish big things? I think it is the discipline of keeping this newly found conviction socially, the social conviction towards supporting black women, supporting black owned business, et cetera, keeping that top of mind and making decisions to make changes in life that aren't easy. You know, when, when people, (laughs) I'm dating myself here, but like when recycling became a thing, it was a pain in the butt. There weren't recycling bins everywhere. You had those kids that were collecting cans and taking them to the grocery store and trying to get pennies to go to Disneyland, which by the way, I can't imagine how that would ever pay for Disney, but whatever. (laughs) Um, It was a choice enough People got started to begin that conviction of, well, I can I can do something to make things better, to make the environment better. Anytime we're trying to make these like massive social changes, it's the same way that you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So like one of the things that I do, and this isn't, it doesn't come easy to me. It's top of mind for me every day because I am a black woman business owner, but it still doesn't, you know, lifestyle wise necessarily come easy because sometimes you have to, oftentimes you have to seek out these businesses because they don't have the same resources, et cetera. Um, but one of the things I did was I just, I took, I said, okay, 
I waste money personally in life on stuff all the time. So it's whether it's the Starbucks coffee, which I actually want from Starbucks. So let's like, like not even talk about that, but just like the little thing, it's the Uber Eats order, that kind of thing. And so what I said was, you know what? Every luxury purchase that I make, anything that's a luxury, not a necessity, but a luxury. If I'm going to blow that money, I'm going to blow it on a business that could use me as a customer. And I'm going to do that particularly within communities of color. And so when I'm buying wine, I try to look for black owned wine brands. Does it really matter to me? Not really. Does it really like, do I want, like, it's great to go out to Napa and have like an overpriced bottle because they got you drunk and then they get, they get you to buy a case, but I can just as easily, you know, swap out brands that I know to discover other ones. And it's actually playing off of a, my own sense of discovery and liking to try mm-hmm. new things. So I think for all of us, we have to kind of find what parts of our life and our lifestyle we want to commit to this value and this conviction. And then just try to be consistent with it. You don't have to boil the ocean. You don't have to do all the things at once. You don't have to rent your clothes and walk the streets naked for the cause. Um, You can do really simple things like Google search, top black owned brands that make rubber bands. I don't know, whatever it might be. And find them and purchase from them. No, I think that's such pragmatic advice. And I... And I think it it's helpful to think about not trying to boil the ocean because sometimes you can feel like the problem has so many layers and is so vast. How can you know I possibly accomplish anything? And taking it in those bite-sized pieces and having an intention. It, it's just great, great advice. And I think a really important um, line to walk. So I appreciate you sharing that, that advice for us and our listeners who need to hear it too. Okay. I'm going to move to what really is not a lightning round, but we call it that for fun. So we can play the little jingle. I'm so here for it. (laughs) Um, So I'd love to do a quick round Robin of, um, of you as a consumer. So, you know, you've talked about some of your, your professional experience, but as a consumer, I'm going to rattle off those characteristics of a, of a gutsy brand. And I'd love for you to name either a brand or a campaign. Uh, that you really think embodies that particular trait. Okay. And we're going to start with, which is probably the easy one for you to think of, but what's a brand or a campaign that you think really leads with empathy? Oh, true empathy. Cause I think we we've made empathy, the word du jour oftentimes within the marketplace. Um, I was just, I, we were speaking about beauty brands. So I love the crayon case. Um, it is an amazing brand created by Supercent. I should know her real name. That's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's the crayon case. They've done amazing work. But one of the things that I really loved about that, so she was an internet personality, kept everything very hundred percent real, but she created this, um, this beauty brand that was really inclusive. Like, I feel like some of their, like their influencers and folks that they work with. It was like some of the first times that I saw really beautiful makeup on men and they weren't just putting them out there. Cause I feel like the mainstream brands of the world have started to like sprinkle folks in tokenizing them into ads and stuff. But I was constantly going through Instagram going like, how did he get his eyebrows like that? Like, I want to know. (laughs) And I hadn't seen that and I hadn't been exposed to that. And I feel like the empathy of just understanding that beauty can come in a lot of different forms and formats and being open to that. And then as a brand, 
backing that by being like, I don't care who loves me. I'm going to share the love that you get. I think that was really cool. So I, I love what they did. And, and there's other brands, particularly when you think about like the, like Lip Bar and these other brands that are exploring wild colors and different things. They're all encouraging self-expression, which again, is so much broader than just the Black community and the place that we're at right now socially. It's really important for folks. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that point about it being true empathy, right? letting people be their, their true selves. How about a brand or campaign that was really pioneering, that found a new way of doing business or a new way in an industry? Overtone hair color. I don't necessarily know if it's a new way of doing business, but it certainly is a new way of thinking about hair color. Obviously, I I keep picking these these brands that are all about self-expression. Overtone is is another one of them. Um, But the whole idea being um, a, a conditioner that actually deposits color and does so in a rich way. Even when you hear how they represent people, when you hear about how they went to market, um, and there's some really great interviews with um, Leora and her team, they really took what I thought was some pretty damn common sense or like just good sense and applied that to a business as opposed to taking the cookie cutter route. And they've, they've created a really fantastic business that is it's not niche. It's, it's so massive. I I'm like, I'm so excited for them. Um, and and it's, it's, it's definitely a really cool brand in and of itself, which I think has kind of come to market in a different way. I can't wait to learn more about that. And maybe you can introduce us to Leora. She sounds like she'd be a, a good founder to talk to. Oh, she's awesome. How about a brand or campaign that stood behind a bold idea, even if not well understood or popular at the time? Mm, bold idea, not well understood besides Black Travel Box. Um, <laughs> so a brand that has really kind of stepped outside of what's popular and what's what's well known. Um, Ruby, which is actually, I don't necessarily know that it's massively well known, uh, but the woman that started it, Black woman, big got to give her props, was working corporate finance, I believe. Um, self-funded her business, by the way, bootstrapped it to like $10 million. Um, and she was one of the earliest brands to talk about period wear. Uh, I believe it had a different, it had a different name at that time. She rebranded to Ruby since then, you know, she hit them 10 million. She got too good for the first name. Just kidding. (laughs) Time to to reposition. Time to reposition. Well, it's rebrand, not necessarily reposition, but, um, she was, she made a killing on period wear because nobody was wanted to touch periods with a 10 foot pole. And if you really think about the mainstream industry, the mainstream brand on shelf, and this is before the honeypots, which I would also put honeypot in this category. Nobody talked about vaginas, number one. Nobody talked about periods. It was something to hide. It was something to be ashamed of. It was uncomfortable and bulky pads and, you know, tampons that do all kinds of crazy things like give you toxic shock. And so to have a brand that was very much forward in just, this is what we were about. We're nothing but periods, period. I think it was huge. Um, And you could see that in in the way that her business grew. Um, B. Dixon has done an insane job in creating a brand that is unapologetically for humans with vaginas, which another, that's another inclusive aspect. Mm -hmm. Again, when we create stuff, we create it inclusively. And it, there's something really beautiful about the language 
But not only that, you go on there, go on their Instagram, y'all. Check out the Honeypot's Instagram. It is nothing but peaches and vagina-shaped things, and I am here for it. Um, <laughs> they might have cleaned it up a little bit as they get more corporate. They're in Target now and all of those places, but their communication style is one that is very frank, and it does not shame the female human form, which I think mm-hmm. is, that's groundbreaking. Absolutely. Talk about a big market, you know? More than half of the population fits in that category. And then a third of that is menstruating. So, okay, I'm going to go. Okay, ready? We're going to go to. The real lightning round. This is all about spill your guts. This is just all about you. You just tell me what comes top of mind. There are absolutely no right or wrong answers. So what's the first brand that you remember as a child? Ooh. Uh, sun-made raisins. Okay. The, I remember the little tiny boxes and I remember eating the box like snack time and my mom would fold it in and you could use it as a kazoo. You could blow it and it would make a kazoo noise. Mm-hmm. That's probably the earliest I remember. <laughs> I love that one. We haven't had that one yet. I love it. What book or movie best represents your career journey? <laughs> uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh <laughs> To some extent, yes. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's, I think that's actually a really good, I think that's a really good example. Cause I think when you look at coming into, I came into the career space off of a really big hurt that I had to let go of. Like I wanted to be this thing and I, and I switched and I pivoted and then I built off of that. I think there was that healing process that he went through in the film of coming to grips with the experiences and the changes and what was happening and learning to integrate that into oneself and then come out of it better. And so that has been my process. That has been a lot of the momentum that's brought me through a lot of the ups and downs and the changes that I've been through in my career. So inspiring to hear you describe that. (laughs) How would you describe your job to a child? That's a good one. I make fun things to take with you everywhere. That sounds very inclusive as well. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love it. Sign me up. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that wants to make their brand more gutsy? I would say it's actually a piece of advice that someone gave me, which is you have to run on your own steam. You have to. There are going to be times that you you want to get the opinions and the insights of others and the advice and sometimes the mentorship, but knowing that if they fall short of what you need, you have yourself to keep pushing yourself. That's, that's the best thing you can do. What about the most used emoji on your phone? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm actually going to look and see. Yes. I think it's really, I think it's this lady with the hands, like the shrugged shoulders lady. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to tell me, yep, it's the shrug shoulders lady. And there's also this lady, the face plant one. The face um, plant. Yeah. I kind of love that the face or the shoulder shrug is your most used. So there must just be a lot, a lot of that happening. Yeah. I mean, but I also, it, I also use it to almost to some extent say, wow, you can like, you can kind of get away with anything or you can kind of do anything. So oftentimes when I'm texting, just sort of like personally with my friends or we're sharing stuff on Instagram and stuff, it's like they made a miniature 
of an egg salad sandwich and it has parsley on it and it's an inch wide. I don't know, but it's cool. I like it, but I don't know. Um, I, I, I think to me, it's the embodiment of the world can always still surprise you <laughs> and you don't have to know all the answers. I am loving that new definition of that emoji. I think that's fantastic. It's sort of like you do you, you know, go yeah, for it. Yeah. And sometimes when you're doing you, I'm like, I love it. I just don't understand it. <laughs> and that's okay too. That's okay too. That's a great attitude. Finally, we have compiled a gutsiest brands playlist. It's pretty, pretty epic. You're going to want to check it out. What song would you add to that playlist? I would add feeling good as hell by Lizzo. That's a vibe. Um, we need that. Toss, check my nails. Baby, how I'm feeling. Feeling good as hell. Boss up and change your life. You can have it all. No sacrifice. I know we did you wrong. We can make it right. So go and let it all hang out tonight. Sometimes you just need that, that pat on the back. That's like, and that energy and that joy. Well, I know what I'm going to go listen to right now. This has been <laughs> such a phenomenal conversation. I mean it when I say, I feel like we could chat if you would have me for a couple of hours over a couple of, of glasses of something. Uh, but unfortunately I think that I, I, I have to wrap us up in terms of this particular conversation and episode. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your success. Thank you for being you and being open to this conversation. I've learned so much truly, and, um, you've given us a lot to think about and we are so supportive of you and what you're doing. I love it. And thanks for having me and letting me ramble about the things that are on my heart. Because, uh, like I said, you know, whether Black Travel Box stays forever uh, or not, uh, being able to have spaces to articulate challenges, to illuminate the world, to talk about things that don't get talked about, spoken about, we'll just say spoken about. To be able to create space for those, those things is, is really a wonderful thing and a blessing. So I appreciate you for even creating the, the platform for it. Oh, thanks for saying that. Grateful for you to be here. I think anyone who listens to this episode is going to come away feeling like they have a friend in Orion. She's honest, she's funny, she's an advocate, and she's so charming. Totally agree. Aren't both her smile and her passion contagious? Like it was yes. so hard to not just jump in right along with her. It was such a refreshing conversation where once again, we learn from a genuine gutsy leader who observed a problem and set out to solve it. And in her words, she said, there's a problem in the world that's really worth solving. And I think I have the skills to come forward and try to tackle it. I mean, boom. And it just, the rest of the conversation just took off. I love that about her. Her confidence like made me feel like empowered just listening to her. And there's a lot to dig into here. So why don't we just jump into it? What are your primary takeaways today? Yeah, as always, we tend to start with empathy and it was everywhere in this conversation. Um, you know, Orion observed and, and is an advocate for the fact that black people are a part of the marketplace and you can't just take a product, slap a new label on it and say it's made for ethnic women. You know, she, she asked the question, did you get her, her input, her being the, the black female consumer? Did you test it with her? Like, how are you involving the human who will be using these products in your innovation, your product development, your marketing decisions? I mean, it just, it felt like such a, a, uh, an obvious um, embodiment of empathy, but so important to who Orion is as well as the brand. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes, as she said, as the brand marketer, you're not the consumer. And in this case, Orion is, she is a frequent avid traveler and, um, you know, so she is the consumer, but when you're not, it's so important to entrench yourself in the friction that that consumer faces. Yeah, I think you're right. And we, this is the reason we talk about, it'd be great to see more people of color in leadership and as entrepreneurs. And, and I know you talked about it in the episode that we've seen this uptick with female entrepreneurs, which is great, but there's still such a problem. I can visualize going into my favorite store and the section for people of color or for textured hair is so small. They're, they're really limiting what there is to buy. So I love talking to someone who's at the forefront of changing things. Yeah. And also the fact that she says, you know, we deserve clean beauty. We deserve products that are natural and clean. And, and it's, it's such an important topic. And, you know, I was thinking about the conversations that she had with initial investors where they kind of claimed that she was being exclusive. Like, oh, you're mm-hmm. excluding a portion of the population with the strategy and I love it. She's like, uh, it's not racism or exclusivity. It's market segmentation. I mean, boom. You know, I just love that she was able to bring that business acumen to it and just say, like, what are you talking about? This is a massive white space opportunity. And when she was talking about, you know, first exploring the market when she had her, her initial idea, and then there's not a lot of data um, on this, this population in this community. Um, so I just love how she approached it. Um, I think it's terribly upsetting that, you know, that data wasn't there, that, um, this community is underrepresented, but I love that she's doing something about it. I just found it so compelling. I did too. And I I love that. It's not just, it could be a very uh, emotional topic, but it it was so matter of fact, like these are stats, like this, these are what people want to hear when they're investing, right. Is to see actual numbers in this open market. And I just found that to be really interesting to hear her perspective on that. And the idea of the Black travel movement and travel as a form of self-care, I'm so grateful that I got to learn more about that and research more about it to understand how important it is to that population to have this freedom to travel, to you know get in a different space, and now to have products that help you do that. I just, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to learn more about that. I spiraled on her travel and slave blog that goes yep. along with uh, the product, and I just think this is so wonderful. You're looking at women of all shades and all sizes posed in these beautiful places that they're traveling to and really like setting the tone for younger generations to look up to people that they may not have seen in the media, right? These are pictures you might not see and they have something to aspire to be and take into consideration that it's okay to want to have self-care and to do these things for myself. So it's just beautiful all around. I felt again, empowered by it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that, that I, as I was preparing for our conversation, I'm like, you're a travel products company and the pandemic hits and no one is traveling. Like that is a, do we shut our doors kind of moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she said at the time they were kind of getting a lot of pressure. Well, maybe we should go into this category, that category. She understood the value of staying true to their brand purpose, their brand promise and, you know, they, they wrote it out. I just, I have so much respect for the leaders that, that did that, especially in industries and categories that were so impacted by the pandemic. The fact that they're still around and can tell mm-hmm. that story. It's just, it's incredible. Talk about gutsy. That's ballsy, if you will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of ballsy, I mean, you know, we, I, I was so grateful to get her perspective on female black ownership 
Um, and, you know, I think I hit a nerve a little bit, hopefully in a, in a provocative, good way. When I, I said, you know, how are these powerhouse females, how do they do it? And she talked about how, you know, they, the black female community, they have to be superheroes and sometimes they need to take off their cape. And that really spoke to me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the amount of resilience that it, it takes, um, to make the space around you uh, a better space and to give space for others. I don't know. I just, I was honored to, to be able to, to learn from her and hear from her. And she was right when she said that spotlights don't always last. And, you know, we need to keep the discipline of this newly found conviction socially that we should be empowering black entrepreneurs, female black entrepreneurs um, and find parts of our lives that we can commit to this conviction. So she made the joke about purchasing wine from, or that, that part wasn't a joke, purchasing wine from, <laughs> from black owners, but rubber bands, right? Like let's build conviction around this. If I'm going to pursue a new product purchase, why don't I go research and find where I can find a black owned business to make my purchase? So it's just a great example of how to make it tangible in ways that we can in our daily lives actually have an impact. Um, I'm so appreciative that she shared that with us. Overall, I learned a lot from Orion's background, how she came to be in her current role um, and founding this tremendous business. And I love the swagger she brought to the conversation. I love the intellect she brought to the conversation. And dang, do I want to go on a trip with that girl? I I mean, I mean it. So I'm going to try to invite myself along at some point. But another great example of gutsiness through and through. And I hope our, our listeners will learn a lot as well. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.